This is episode number 50 of the Abuse Talk podcast. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my pain into a purpose. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder. Each fortnight, there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in with a conversation. By leaving a voice message, head to our website and go through Anchor. Share your thoughts. I am delighted today to have Sharon Bryan join us to talk about emergency legal protection. She's from the NCDV and I recently became a supporter of them as myself and for hashtag abuse talk. So you'll find us on the resource section of the NCDV website. But before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsor for hashtag abuse talk and you can find out about their informed programs that are delivered right across the UK over on their website rockpool.life and also a huge thank you to Susan Rahima and Katrina Hay for continuing to support my work on my Patreon account under the hashtag abuse talk tier. Right let's get into it I was so delighted to do this um, interview with Sharon because we've spoken quite a lot over the last uh, few months and it was just an honest pleasure. So we're going to get straight into it. Why not? My name's Sharon and um, I've worked I've worked in the domestic abuse sector for 23 years now, um, mostly frontline uh, in refuge and um, as a, a consultant for Westminster City Council in London and um, as an IDVA and lots of different things but mostly all frontline working with women um i'm quite new to ncdv i started in january and my role there is is a new role um it's i am the it's a bit of a mouthful i'm the head of <laughs> partnerships and development for domestic abuse services um and uh, my job basically is to um raise awareness raise more awareness of ncdv and of course domestic abuse and um sort of try and promote the the fantastic work that we do and um forge partnerships with other organizations not just domestic abuse organizations but any any organization that will come into contact with or that could come into contact with victims and survivors of domestic abuse men or women um so we take referrals from anyone um and uh, yeah that's that's what i do yeah, it does sound like a bit of a mouthful of a job role, but it um, also sounds very rewarding and something that you have to be, you know, have to have passion for, I guess. Um, so can you tell us a bit about NCDV um, itself? What, what, what do NCDV do? Okay, so NCDV, uh, National Centre for Domestic Violence. So we are um, a, a community interest company and we 
assist victims and survivors of domestic abuse with obtaining um, legal protection. Um, we, we concentrate on three main orders, um, which are a non-molestation order, an occupation order, and a prohibited steps order. Mm-hmm. So I can go through if you want and kind of explain a little bit more about what those three orders are. Yeah, that would be That'd perfect. Be yeah. So um, non-molestation order. These three orders, all of them are obtained through the family courts or the, the civil courts. You don't need to don't need to have reported to the police to be able to get one of these orders. I often get asked what is the difference between a non-molestation order and a restraining order. Restraining mm-hmm. order is much the same thing, but the restraining order is given by the criminal court. Right. Um, a non-molestation order is given by the family or the civil court. Okay. Um, does the same thing, not, you know, not, um, not allowed to go within, I don't know, 500 meters or um, it, it's tailored really to that person's specific circumstances. So it can, it can say um, not allowed to assault or, um, uh, or instruct anyone else to assault that person, this person um, not allowed to uh, prohibited from um using social media to harass this person you know it, it's a whole range of things that can be put into this order um, but the main difference between a restraining order and a non-molestation order is that a restraining order is given through the criminal court and a non-molestation order is given through the family and the civil courts mm-hmm. so basically it's to prohibit somebody from doing a something or a set of things to another person and, and that comes with a what's called a power of arrest. And if uh, the order is breached, so if, for example, um, the order says you aren't to go to the property of such and such a person and that person does do that, then the police need to be called. And then it becomes a police matter. Only then does it become a police matter. So um, a breach of court, a breach of non-molestation order can result in up to five years imprisonment. Right. Okay. Um, Depending on the severity of the breach, really. Uh, You know, some some women think some people think, oh, well, you know, he was just given a slap on the wrist. But, you know, he he could he texts me. I thought he would go to prison. I mean, obviously, there's a sliding scale of severity of, of what the breach is, you know, but mm-hmm. but potentially somebody could go to prison for a breach of a non-molestation order. An occupation order is where you you apply to the family or the civil court to remove somebody from the property. Um, it doesn't always come with a power of arrest sometimes it does but more often than not it doesn't and that's why a lot of people will often apply for a non-molestation order and an occupation order together um i think it's two years imprisonment for a breach of an occupation order but there are certain sort of caveats to whether you will whether a court will give you um give you uh, an occupation order 
and they range. I mean, there's 101 reasons, really, and it, it basically depends on your own circumstances. But if, for example, it's a joint tenancy, a court is less likely to want to do that mm. um, if they feel that they'll be putting somebody out on the street and they're homeless for example um, they would want reassurances that that person wasn't going to be homeless um, so it's it's a good order to have but there are certain as with everything there are certain reasons why you may not be able to get one mm. and a prohibited steps order is a is an order that prohibits somebody generally from taking a child out of the jurisdiction of England and Wales. So if, um, as I've worked with a lot of women in London that are uh, Arabic women and uh, a, a lot of those women have said, you know, I'm scared. My, my ex-partner has said that he's going to take my child and take them back to Iraq or, or wherever they come from. Um, you can apply for a prohibited steps order, which will prohibit that person from t removing the child from the jurisdiction. Mm. Um, it can also prohibit um, somebody from changing the child's name, um, things like that. But that's more centered around the child. Mm. Yeah, so that's, I think that's probably the most salient things that you <laughs> to know about those orders but yeah no, well I mean it's really interesting because there might be people that are tuning in that might not know about the type of legal protection that is available and not always do you know that when you're in that relationship no. you know what services are available and what help you can receive mm. so how would somebody access um the emergency legal protection then Okay, so if you, I mean, there's there's various ways of of, of obtaining an order, and and some people do just go straight to a solicitor. Um, we at NCDB, we it's a free service. We don't charge anybody, um, irrespective of their their you know gender. Uh, disability you know all the all the usual stuff we don't charge anybody basically it's free service and if somebody calls ncdv um then they will go through the person in the first steps team will go through a um an assessment with them to determine whether they are entitled to legal aid if they are entitled to legal aid they will be signed they will be referred on to um one of our panel of solicitors of which we have many uh, all around the country all around England we don't we don't cover Wales and we don't cover Scotland there's reasons for that Scotland have got very different laws and Wales um uh, you know you have to there's quite a lot you have to do like have to have everything written in Welsh as well and we may well do that in time but at the moment we just cover England they and we have offices panels of solicitor panel of solicitors all over the country so wherever the person the victim or survivor lives they will be triaged to where our nearest solicitor is mm -hmm. and where their nearest court is and then we kind of like they will get in contact with the person we have um a kind of mechanism where each person they will get text updates all the way right. through as does the referrer um you take self-referrals but we take predominantly um police refer to us 
anyone can refer to us. So they, if they can get legal aid, then they are passed on to one of our panel of solicitors. If they can't, and you know, make the statement, go to court, get the order. If they aren't entitled to legal aid, then they are passed on to our pro bono department. And that is, we have um, a whole team of paralegals and uh, trainee solicitors that will do the work for free again. Um, and we, we do that pro bono, we do that free of charge. Effectively, that person is then a litigant in person. Mm. Um, but we help them. We have templates. We help them. We, we write their statement for them. Um, and that then all goes through to their local court. Pre-pandemic, we also used to offer Mackenzie friends to go to court to support mm. them. At the moment, we don't do that because of the pandemic. But I mm. hope that that's something that we might, you know, that we possibly will get back to doing. Um so yeah, that's 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 basically what what happens, and that process can take if all the stars align. <laughs> that can take as little as twenty four hours, and that yeah. has happened. But that de- you know, obviously, that depends on everybody doing what they should be doing, including the victim. You know, mm-hmm. um, when when it's asked for and everything. But yeah, I mean, we, it can be done in very very short time indeed. No, thank you for that. That's really useful to know and, um, you know, how, how it all works as well from that point of view. Um, obviously, we've got questions that are on, anonymous that have been sent in, which um, is great, and I want to get those answered. Um, so what are the requirements? I know you kind of mentioned that you don't need to have gone to the police to report anything, but are there any um, other requirements to access, um, you know, the emergency legal protection does an incident to have have to have had occurred or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, it, you can either apply if we if we just kind of focus on non molestation orders because predominantly yeah. that's that is what we deal with. We do do the other two orders, but predominantly it's non molestation orders. If you if there's been an incident last night, for example, mm-hmm. um, we we take the referrals come through to us twenty four hours a day um every day if um there's an incident there was an incident last night in Hull and uh the police officer made the referral to NCDB that would be picked up this morning Mm -hmm. um and the victim will be rung um do you want you know we've had referral for you do you want to um you know apply for a non-molestation order Yes, I do. Okay, so then we do the assessment. If we, if she says or he says, well, I want that to be, I don't want the perpetrator to know about it. That's called an ex parte or a, or a without notice application. The incident has to be basically around about uh, within the last ten days. Mm-hmm. To, to be able to do it without notice. If it's longer than that, I think for litigants in person, they allow a bit longer, about two weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's longer than that, then it's, it has to be done on notice, which means that the perpetrator will know about it before it goes to court. Right. Um, really, that, that, is, that is the only proviso. It, it's, it needs to obviously be... Um, 
an associated person. Mm -hmm. um, now, this has come up just recently. So what is an associated person? It's, it's all done on a case-by-case -case basis, really. So say, for example, the person that the incident happened with last night, she says to the, uh, the caseworker, well, I've actually only been with him about six weeks, but it's really moved quickly. And, it, and he kind of moved himself in after a couple of weeks. And, you know, it's, it's kind of got really heavy. Then, yeah, absolutely. If... If she were to say, I've, I've actually kind of known him, I've only known him, I've known him for about two months, but we've only actually been out on one date and now he's harassing me. A non-molestation order probably wouldn't be the mm. order that she needs. So she would be probably advised, I would say, to uh, go down the route of uh, protection from harassment. Right warning um so we kind of give the benchmark of you know somebody has to be been in an associated relationship with an associated person for three months but right. that's not that's not rigid you know it just depends on the person's circumstances yeah and I suppose you know domestic abuse is very complex it doesn't fit into any particular guidelines so that does help you know within this uh, situation I guess yeah um, so we've we've had um, a big question, um, <laughs> which I think it would be useful for me to read out the whole um, question, just so okay. you've got the context. Um, they say NCDV have helped me with two non-molestation orders successfully, and I've been unsuccessful in obtaining an occupation order twice. Um, so what is the point in having the option of an occupation order if the courts are dismisses, dismiss, <laughs> dismissive of them? Um, my perp moved in with my parents and the judge told me that I should be ashamed for making my husband homeless, despite the fact he was living in my parents' house and not homeless at all. I'm a victim of domestic abuse and honour-based abuse and I can't get an occupation order, so... How would um, would someone get one and how do you become eligible for them? Um, they go on to say that they found that the non-molestation orders um, have been great when they're in place. The PEP is on their best behaviour, but as soon as it runs out, they have to reapply. Um, so, yeah. yeah, have you got any advice for, for that person? Okay. It, I mean, it sounds... I mean, it's... It's horrible to say it, but, you know, it really, it, it, a lot of it comes down to the judge. On the, I'm really disappointed that a judge would say to anyone that they should feel ashamed for making mm. their husband homeless. So that just not it, that just isn't on, really. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, we know that there are some judges that have little to no understanding about the complexities of domestic abuse. Um an occupation order is, I mean, it's difficult to be able to give an accurate answer to this person because obviously they don't yeah. know her situation. But if she, I wonder if he is living with her parents and she isn't. Mm. I can't, yeah. I mean, it sounds to me as if it should be her parents that apply for the occupation order if that's right. relevant you know if they don't want him there mm. um then they should they should be the ones that probably apply for the occupation order 
there are so so many reasons why a judge may not um, may not give an occupation order. Generally, they don't like to, uh, as I said before, they don't like to see anybody become homeless. Yeah. Clearly, if that isn't the case, then that would need to be challenged. I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you tried to get to yeah, I, I would need to know more, really, Jennifer, yeah. you know? No, that's fine. So but the, the um, question of, you know, them being on their best behaviour while the order is in force and then having to get, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, sometimes that is what happens. Um, and I guess, you know, you could, if you had to get another one, you could ask for it to be written into your statement that, you know, you have done this twice before and th- and this is what he is doing mm-hmm. and ask the order if the order can be made for a longer period of time. Yeah. And maybe they could do that because generally orders are about for about a year, six months, a year. But I have known cases where the courts have made um, non-molestation orders for an indefinite period. Wow, um, yeah. So it can be done. But I think it needs to be very clear to the judge why you're asking for that because he doesn't know you. Mm-hmm. He Literally all he's seeing is what he's reading. So it's really important to make that very, very clear on your witness statement. No, that's great. Well, if um if they were to get would it would it be okay if that person gets in touch with you personally? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, we'll go we'll go over your contact details at the end and how uh people can get in touch with you as well. Um now I, I know we're sort of short for time, but I do want to um look at aside from NCDV because you've actually won awards, including Survivor of the Year back in 2012, um, which it was by Women's Aid. So yeah. can you tell us a bit about that and obviously how you felt in receiving these awards? <laughs> Oh, um, I couldn't really believe it, to be honest. Yeah, um, it was uh, in in partnership with Avon and Marie Claire magazine and, and Women's Aid Federation of England, um, and and it was to it, it was to acknowledge the the work that I've done in in the field. So I am I am a survivor of domestic abuse, and it was a long time ago, um, but it was it was very. Um, high risk domestic abuse it was physical sexual emotional you know you name it um he was uh convicted of uh he was convicted of gbh with intent because he stabbed me um abh which broke my nose and um and rape so uh, he he was the i'm told he was the first person the first man to be convicted of raping his wife um, and it was the case that changed the law so um, you look surprised <laughs> I, I didn't know this before this interview so oh, okay. I didn't know that was the you know and yeah. what an important change you know yeah um, so it was quite uh, huge at the time his um conviction his uh trial if you like was at the old bailey bachelor at the last minute he changed his plea to guilty so i i didn't have to give evidence which at the time i was pleased about but in hindsight Mm. i i wish i had have done 
um, mm. because he was kind of able to say his interpretation of what, what you know, what had happened, um, which included, you know, finding me in bed with three of his friends. And I, I mean, you know, ridiculous things, really, that were obviously plastered all over the newspapers because mm. of the the uniqueness of the case with the sexual yeah. violence. So, um, yeah, it was, I say it was a long time ago. Uh, and I'd worked, as I said at the beginning, for 23 years working with women. So it, the, the award was really special to me. Um, and I, I couldn't quite believe that um, that I'd, I'd been given it. Uh, had a lovely... Um, do at Claridge's in London and um, I took my daughter with me who was it's her father that um, was abusive um, it, was, it was a very proud moment for her as well and mm. and she got to lot to meet lots of celebrities which she loved so, um, <laughs> and then um, and more recently um, I was uh, nominated for the Emma Humphreys memorial prize so uh, Emma Humphreys was a, a victim of um, domestic abuse who was sent to prison and um, she actually died in prison sadly um, no she didn't die in prison sorry I got a completely wrong she didn't die in prison she was the women's women's groups campaign to have her released um, and she was released and sadly she died and so they there is a memorial prize every year um, and I was nominated for I did I, I didn't win somebody really really worthy did win though who I'm still friends with now after meeting her at that ceremony um, but I was not I was shortlisted for the memorial prize which is also I'm really really proud of mm. no it's I mean it sounds you know amazing and obviously you've been through your own experiences and I would say made history as well with your experience and it almost feels like some good has come out of that situation and obviously the work that you do now with NCDV and, and you as a person as a survivor um, makes a difference to many people so thank you for for the work that you're doing. It's, it's I also important. facilitate the Freedom Programme just to chuck mm-hmm. that in there as well <laughs> I do that in my own time but I'm, I'm a trained just in your own time <laughs> yeah just, well yeah yeah I mean I, I yeah um so yeah I, yeah I do that in the evening um once a week but I've got um it used to be it's ironic really if it hadn't have been for the uh the pandemic wouldn't have been so easy to do but since the pandemic they're all done on zoom mm-hmm. and so you know literally can sort of take women onto the course onto the program from anywhere anywhere in the world really I've got um, yeah I've got got people on on my waiting list for my next program who aren't actually in England so you know it's uh it's really I think the 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 pandemic has has done a lot of harm obviously but I think Mm. in in other ways it's done a lot of good because people can access Mm-hmm. services that they maybe couldn't have accessed before quite yeah. so easily 
I su- yeah, I suppose there is a, a different element. If if this were, um, if the pandemic would have happened maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it would have probably been a very different story. So there are yeah. definitely things to be thankful for in terms of, you know, that accessibility. Mm. Um, yeah, so I love how you just, you know, I just do this in my own time, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just shows that you're very passionate about, you know, helping um women and obviously with ncdv both women and men um you know sort of come to terms with what they're going through and um you know getting the help and the support that they need um so that leads me to say thank you for joining me but i do want to ask how people could get in touch with ncdv and then also how um if it's okay if anybody were to get in touch with you perhaps they have a personal question how they would do that as well yeah, okay, that's fine. So uh, we obviously have a website and there are various different ways to make a referral for a start, for make a referral to NCDV and that you can uh, go onto the website, which is www.ncdv.org.uk. Mm-hmm. And on the front, on the homepage, there's a very, very simple um, referral form um, electronic referral form that you can you can fill in but there's also an app you can download an app on from apple or android um, that you can refer on to um, text you can text all the information is on the website anyway um, and uh, and you can call so i would suggest that people just go onto the website really and have a look um, and uh, there's also really, really good, and I'm building it. It's an ongoing project for me that I've started since I've come into the role um, of a resources page um, mm-hmm. where I, my ambition for that resources page is that sooner or later, anybody that is looking for specific support around domestic abuse can go on there type in where they are and find the service they need and that's not just domestic abuse services so there's there's services on there for drug and alcohol mm-hmm. and pet fostering services you name it so that's also on there so people might want to have a look at that too for me i can be contacted on um uh i'm about to put my glasses on um so i've got an email address obviously a work email address which is um sharon.brian b-r-y-a-n at ncdv.org.uk if you have any questions that's great well thank you that's so generous as well and what i'll do is i'll pop um all of those links for those who um, are able to get to the description of the podcast, you can click through. Um, but if you're listening, hopefully that's helped. Um, well, Sharon, it has been lovely to do this with you. And I know you're very busy, so I won't keep you too much longer. But I do want to say um, thank you for all the work that you continue to do. And um, I look forward to learning more about the NCDV as we, we go along in supporting And yeah, thank you for your time today. It's been lovely. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for asking me. (laughs) 
Thank you once again to Sharon Bryan from the NCDV talking about emergency legal aid. It's such an important thing to raise awareness of, but also to be aware of. And I know that would be something that would have made a huge difference to me if I didn't known about it. So I'm really proud to be supporting the NCDV and raising awareness of the work that they do. Um, well, you've been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both are available on Amazon or you can find them at jennifergilmore.com. Remember everybody that together we are louder. So feel free to share this with somebody that you know who might be interested in the subject um, discreetly and safely of course. And feel free to tweet us on hashtag abuse talk. (laughs) 